Well, ladies and gentlemen, once again, it's time for the internationally recognized Inside EMS podcast. And this episode of the Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by Boundary Medical. Learn how Boundary can help you save minutes and lives at Boundary.com. And the man who's always with me in the chair to my right is my good friend, Kelly Grayson, KG. How are you doing this week? Good, man. I actually got a decent night's sleep last night, and that's that's amazing. Uh, no one wanted to play musical posting locations, and uh, I, I actually slept for a little while, uh, except for the the uh, psych patient that decided she was 70 years old and pregnant uh, yesterday morning. Uh, other than that, it was great, wonderful. I gotta think. I gotta think that could happen. You know, my class. My class is always. My class is always half full, brother. Always half full. On a tangent, many years ago, when when Medicare used to run into shortfalls toward the end of the the uh, calendar year, and they would just start routinely denying claims to to stall. You know, um, they denied a claim for one of our patients uh, to go to a heart hospital because there was a rural hospital without a cath lab closer. And it was obviously, you know, the patient went to the proper destination and we had to dispute that claim. At the very same time, and in the, the same batch of mail that came back to us, they paid for a 74-year-old woman to have a delivery, an episiotomy, an epidural, uh, two weeks of nursery care, two cases of formula, and two cases of diapers, a 74-year-old woman. Obviously a mistake, but they paid that without quibble for a 74-year-old woman, and no one thought, my, that's unusual. So um, you just never know, you know. You know, those women, though, they still amaze me to this day. You don't know what they can do. I, I believe she was 74, and I think they can still do it. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Okay. Uh, no. Yeah, so it was a tangent. That, that was a tangent. All right. So, um, uh, no, I, something struck me the other day, Chris, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss it to you. with the. I'm going to set it up and toss it to you. With the coronavirus pandemic and, and the, the lull or the, the sharp downturn in overall patient volume that many services have experienced. Uh, now we're starting to feel the financial pinch because our overall run volumes are down. Uh, yet, for a generation or more, as long as I've been in EMS, we've been complaining about inappropriate use of 911 and people calling ambulances that really didn't need ambulances. So filed under be careful what you wish for, um, what do you think of, of the fact that, that many agencies are seeing a downturn in, in overall patient volume and not just the people, the worried well that are now more afraid of coronavirus than they are of their minor aches and pains, but also people who legitimately need to be calling an ambulance. A, a number of systems have reported a, a very sharp uptick in cardiac arrests uh, and particularly unworkable cardiac arrests where the patients were declared dead on the scene. Uh, you think this is uh, our new normal is going to see an overall downturn in, in uh run volume or people are going to go back to their old habits that we've been fostering and encouraging for the last 25 years? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's such a great question, and I think it'll be such a good discussion to have when we look at this. And the realization is right now, uh, you know, people are, you know, choosing not to go to the hospital. And I think that this will curb some of the behavior. I think what people are going to realize is, you know what, maybe I, I didn't need to go to the hospital. And, you know, we have been trying to change the, I guess, the culture 
that we created. I mean, back in the old days, we wanted everybody to call 911. ER wanted everybody to come to the ER. And then when the Affordable Care Act came in and started to, you know, make changes to that and, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and started to penalize people for things like left without being seen in the emergency room or, you know, high-risk readmissions or, you know, all those things that uh, really it was supposed to do, it really came to the fact of, um, you know, we wanted to try to minimize ambulance transports and minimize people going to the hospital. I can tell you that coming from a hospital-based system uh, in my last full-time role as an EMS leader, that the hospitals didn't like the fact that we were taking out 5,000 patients a week from the, you know, from the system, even though people weren't uh, sometimes able to pay. When we did this program where we were choosing not to take people to the hospital if they didn't have a medical emergency, um, the CFO told us to stop it and start bringing all the patients back to the emergency room. So when we start to think about it from the standpoint of we want everybody saying they want to stop it, but the people don't really want it to stop. Now, going back to your initial question, is this what the new normal is going to be? I think that there's going to be a lot of people in a lot of different areas, you know, salespeople who travel, um, coming face to face for office meetings, um, being able to work remotely. I mean, how many organizations now that are having money issues are going to shut down offices and just have people work remotely yeah. and have them come into a central location rather than have all these satellite off. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what that is. But from an EMS standpoint, there are going to be people who says, you know, I don't need to go to the hospital. I can go to this urgent care. Or I don't need to go to the hospital. I can call these, what are they called? Community paramedics. That's what we really need to be striving for, Kelly, is we need to be striving, bring in the house, call home, and stop transporting patients to the hospital. And if the EMS leaders who who are kind of overseeing our career field right now and who are making decisions for our career field, if it doesn't come out of this, I think we take steps backwards. I think that EMS is doing a really good job in proving its worth in the time of pandemic. And I think the community paramedics are doing a good job of picking up the slack of where people aren't going to the hospital. And it's not just going to the hospital, Kelly. They're not going to their PCP's office. They're not going to scheduled, you know, I'm going to call in labs for you. They're not going to the labs to get their labs drawn. So I do think this has something to do with the new normal, man. What do you think? Uh, I, I do as well. You know, and I've often, you know, hyperbolically said that, you know, EMS calls are, are about 75% bull crap and 10% oh crap and the rest fall somewhere in between. And Nancy uh, chides me every time I say that in front of students because it, it does kind of foster the wrong idea among students that some calls are beneath our our. Uh, dignity or some calls we shouldn't be having to do. But, you know, the facts of that are, are unassailable. You know, uh, the vast majority of people we take to the hospital in an ambulance don't need to be in that emergency department. And, and they probably don't need an ambulance to get them there. However, uh, one way or the other, we have evolved into the safety net for the system. Um, and, and, you know, we're victims of our own success, Chris. We've been telling, how long have we been telling people, you know, you got a little bit of numbness in your fingertips? Uh, call EMS. Might be a stroke. Are you feeling tired, fatigued? Yeah, call EMS. Might be atypical signs of a heart attack, you know, or uh, got a headache? Oh, my God. Call EMS. Might be a brain hemorrhage. But it's, not just, but it's not just that, Kelly. It's also, 
you have reached the offices of so and so. Our offices are now closed. If you have a medical emergency, hang up and dial nine one one. Well, yeah. to the to the seventeen year old who just found out she was pregnant, mm -hmm. that's an emergency to her. Or, or you, or you actually get a nurse on the phone, uh, and because they are, uh, because they are um, scared of liability, uh, rather than give any valuable, uh, useful advice, that will say, uh, go to call the ambulance and go to the emergency department. That's their default. Uh, but now that we're actually experiencing those lower patient volumes, many EMS services and agencies are feeling the financial hit. Um, why? Because we've created a paradigm or we're operating on that old paradigm where, where X number of people uh, were expected to utilize our services on a given day. And, and we had staffed uh, and, and did our, uh, our budgeting and staffing and, and our deployment models based on that run volume. And now that that run volume is not there, oy, Plus, we're expending a heck of a lot more resources than we normally would, you know, in terms of PPE and decontamination, so on and so forth. It's it's hitting people pretty hard. So, well, but, I, I was of the opinion that for for many years we have needed a hard reset. I just didn't really want it to be this hard a reset. And and wondering what what EMS will look like uh, when it comes back. We have this, you know, we we. Uh, you know, realistically speaking, we understand that there is a gray area between oh crap and bull crap. Uh, but the people that are utilizing our services don't understand that context and they don't appreciate that gray area. It's their emergency. They don't know uh, what we know that, you know, it may be an emergency to you, but it's really a, a fairly minor complaint. Um, I just, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to manage our, uh, uh, our profession and, and how it's conducted when these calls start to come back, how are we going to do it financially, how are we going to do it operationally, how are we going to shift our thinking uh, to adjust to the new normal. I think you mentioned the perfect thing. This is the time where community paramedicine needs to become prevalent. Not not just a, a noble experiment with ET3, and people need the and way people need to, is delivered. And people need to pay for it. And people yes, need to yes, pay for it. And you keep bringing that. I want to. I want to just. I just. You keep saying that about ET three. ET three isn't a community paramedicine uh, program. It's a nine one one response program. There are some systems that may look at using community paramedics, but pri primarily it's not for that. Now, one of the things that I, I do want to. Uh, would you agree that this is the reimbursement model that makes that makes many of those programs uh, potentially viable? Without, without having to get money from hospital participating hospitals and stuff. Possibly, I'll say possibly if it's if it's done the right way. Um, but I will say this: so I do think now that if we start to see a decrease in ambulance transports, right? What's mm -hmm. going to happen is EMS agencies are going to have to slash their personnel, right? We're we're yeah. we're gearing up for three hundred calls a day. We're, you know, 178 hours out of the day. We've got our we've got our response plans ready. We've got our demand analysis based on that time frame. We know where our peaks are. We know where our resources need to be at certain times of the day. I mean, we've done a lot of science into this, and that science uh, is is valid in EMS. We've spent a lot of years, if we've done anything right, it's trying to predict 
where the resources need to be at a certain time. And now when the call volumes changed, it's going to change the science as to what we've learned this whole time. Now what that's going to mean is we don't have as many resources on the street. What that means is we don't need as many employees to sit in the chairs where a lot of these agencies were short because they didn't have the staffing that they needed and they couldn't, you know, meet their response time compliance. Kelly, we see it all the time in the, you know, in the in the news about who's suing what city and because mm -hmm. they need more money or because they don't meet their response time compliance or well now with when you have an upwards of what it looks like to be in the 40s uh, percent decrease in call volume, um, a lot of EMTs and paramedics are going to lose their job. And yeah. now the determination needs to be made is where do those paramedics go? Is it the time now? I'll throw, I'll throw some gasoline on the fire. Is it the time now to develop BLS systems and to put paramedics in chase vehicles to stay and keep people at home? And then, oh, by all means. and then truly now the EMTs, we need to treat them like the providers that they are. We need to treat them like the professionals that they are. We need to teach them how to do IGEL placements or uh, adjunct airway placements. We need to be able to give them the opportunity to do updraft treatments. We need to give them the opportunity to use their skills as EMTs. And if there's a paramedic that needs to jump on an ambulance for a cardiac arrest or respiratory arrest or pediatric arrest or whatever arrest, they're in the system running around in chase vehicles yeah. and we can do that. But then paramedics need to be able to be in the homes to do wellness checks and to do yeah. well baby checks and to do, instead of waiting for the reaction to call 911, Let's get into the preventive medicine and keep all these people from going to the hospital. Well, I got to tell you, man, there are people out there that are listening to those words that don't like that at all. Well, they say that the, the, mark, uh, the true mark of a man's intelligence is to the extent with which he agrees with you. Uh, and you have never been more intelligent at this point. Uh, Hang on one second. So May the 25th. That's right. We're recording on the 25th at 4.55 Central. All right, I got it. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, because, you know, uh, you may remember several years ago, I wrote uh, a column called uh, We Need to Reinvent EMS with the BLS Intercept. Do away with ALS Intercepts. Do BLS Intercepts. That the base, base provider, the default provider in most EMS systems, especially urban EMS systems, should be an EMT. Or some degree of EMT may be uh, more extensively trained than they are in many states right now. But, but some uh, uh, less than a paramedic. And the paramedics, as Nancy puts it, should be the Navy SEALs of EMS. Uh, exquisitely trained and equipped. Uh, very small cadre and only needed in the worst of situations. Um, and, and what you just described is exactly what I was talking about. You know, rather than having paramedics in a city where you can throw a rock at any compass point and hit a, a major hospital and then EMTs out in the boonies or in the suburbs where response times and transport times are long and they're limited with what they can do. We need to do exactly the opposite. We need to staff the cities with BLS transport units and have the outlying communities in the suburbs, uh, manned by paramedics and chase cars doing mobile integrated health tasks and on the odd occasion when the local uh, crew needs a uh, needs a, a paramedic, then they can call for a BLS intercept from the city and ride in with them. 
if not, if they don't need a, uh, if they don't need a paramedic to, to ride with them, then then they can turf them to the BLS crew and send them on their uh, to their destination and get back to to work doing what they were doing before. I think yeah. that would be much better utilization of resources. And and many people said, oh man, that'll never work, you know. But services have been using. Uh, personnel who are retired, expired certifications, um, BLS personnel where before they only had ALS trucks, you know, dual medic ALS trucks. Now they're putting BLS trucks up and the world has not ended. We've met the demand. We, we were equal to the task. We're meeting the demand because the demand is down. So we, we, well, we, yeah, we can't say, I mean, we can't say that the demand is being met because well, we were, we're doing we were, a better job. We're, we're meeting uh, the demand. We were, the, we were meeting the demand even with the, right, with the surge in coronavirus patients. Well, let me cut you down. Let me, yeah, let me, let me cut you off so we All can, right. we could do our, we could do our mid uh, show break, but you know, Kelly and do a little research on this while we're, uh, I'm doing this. Um, uh, you know, this this is something that isn't new. I mean, the Opal oh. study out of Canada. Go ahead and pull that up while I'm do, oh, yeah. reading the yeah. midcap and, and just Wait, read the executive summary. But th this is 15 years old, 17 years old, where they've been doing this from a BLS standpoint. But anyway, as your partner in EMS for over 40 years, Boundtree has made it their goal to provide you with more than just emergency medical supplies and equipment. Boundtree partners with you to create efficiencies within your agency, streamline your operations, and help you find ways to make the most out of your budget. Your dedicated accounts manager will be your true partner acting as your personal advisor to help you determine which solution is right for you and your specific needs. To find out more or set up an account, visit Boundtree.com or call 800-533-0523. So, you know, hopefully you've pulled it up. I didn't have the opportunity to pull it up while I was reading, but uh, about, uh, I don't know, what was it? 15, 17, 20 years ago, there was a study out of Canada called Most the Opal Study. In 2007, it went on for like 10, 10 years, but uh, I think most of the data is from 2007, but okay. we've known it for that long. Do you have the executive summary? Did you pull up the executive summary just to kind of give a brief no, lesson? No, I, I didn't pull up the executive summary, but I can summarize for you, um, right, paraphrasing. Go. go. Um, an AED-equipped BLS provider, now keeping in mind that Canada's BLS providers are significantly more uh, uh, extensively trained and equipped than our EMTs, but the equivalent of an EMT in Canada uh, had as good or uh, better cardiac arrest outcomes and resuscitation rates than an ALS-trained provider and uh, at significantly uh, less cost. Um, so for the purposes of cardiac arrest resuscitation and many, many trauma calls, BLS provider is just as good as an ALS provider. And this is one reason we have seen the, uh, I won't say watering down, but the simplification of ACLS courses, because this, this is not new information. This is well-validated science, uh, that, that shows that the BLS procedures are the, by far the most important. Now I did note that, uh, ALS providers uh, had better outcomes, their patients had better outcomes in chest pain, respiratory distress, diabetic emergencies, and that sort of thing. But, but that was, again, 13, 14 years ago. Um, whereas now, we have, what have we got? The, the things that paramedics were doing 13 or 14 years ago that EMTs could not are now things that EMTs are doing now. Um, epi check and inject, glucagon intramuscular injections, 
uh, nebulizer treatments with with um, with inhaled beta agonists and parasympathetics and and even corticosteroids. Um, uh, now there is a glucagon um, meter dose uh, or a, 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 a nasal uh, a mucosal atomizer that has just been produced. Uh, um, so the the line. 2007 line is has been significantly blurred since then and i don't really see a reason why the vast majority of ems patients could not be effectively managed with a good old-fashioned emt or maybe a new-fashioned emt one with just a little bit more training and clinical experience um and and save the paramedics for the for the uh the really really sick calls or the long transports or the complicated patients um, I think that's a doable thing, and I think we've been kind of demonstrating that uh, during the coronavirus pandemic. My only question is, before I kick it back to you, is is, is we've been doing this, but our focus has has narrowed to this singular focus, uh, and we're not paying attention to much else but coronavirus. Um, when this pandemic wanes and we start to shift our focus broader again, and start looking at overall health outcomes, uh, that gray zone between oh crap and bull crap is going to get a little wider. And I don't know that our current education level uh, is going to be able to, to meet the needs uh, to, to take care of many of those calls and make those decisions at the BLS level. I think we'll need a little more extensively trained provider. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a great opportunity out there, and I think that depending on what we see is depending on um, uh, how we're going to change. And I think one of the reasons that we have ALS vehicles is because when we were doing RFPs, we said that we were going to have two paramedics in the truck because we were going to mm-hmm. offer a higher level of service so we can get that contract. And I think the the reasoning, too, is that we're able to bill at a higher rate with paramedics on the truck, depending on what the call is and how the call is going to categorize, than we were with with BLS. And I think another thing to this is, if I ever come out of retirement and decide to uh, move back into the operational side of the business, I would want to work with that organization to change it into an all-BLS system with paramedics that are community paramedics working on preventative medicine with the primary care physicians hand-in-hand tend to have a BLS, mm-hmm. two, param- two EMTs in a truck who are highly trained, and I'd want to work with the state to try to change their scope of practice so they're able to do more. I would put paramedics and chase vehicles to be there if they were needed, um, and I would work it in a three-tier system. Tier one mm-hmm. is going to be the BLS response. Tier two would be ALS intercept, and then a tier three or tier 2A would be community paramedics that are Mm -hmm. dealing with preventative medicine with primary care. And, you know, paramedics are the PAs of the field. And everybody, you know, a lot of EMTs want to become physician's assistant. We work under a medical director's license. We are physician assistants that we happen to call paramedics. And I think that if we're able to change that paradigm, and as you mentioned before, the word paradigm, and give the paramedics education to put them at the role of physician assistants with a master's degree program, and now uh, recognize them as providers to give, uh, uh, you know, to give the care and, and to reimburse uh, for their services, you know, we got to think about it now. If we don't have the call volume, 
insurance companies aren't paying the money that they were paying either. Yeah. But people are still getting sick. When they go to the hospitals, mm -hmm. they're going to be sicker. So now we need to bring preventative medicine. We need to bring primary care. We need to put it into the community. And we need to change the paradigm of how we do business. If I ever come out of retirement and stop working on the community paramedicine side like I'm doing, if there's a system out there that wants to put that into place and I become their leader, I'm going to make that work. And I'm going to make it work at a, at a way that will change EMS forever. So you're stealing my line when your legion of flying monkeys complete your quest for world domination. Stuff's going to change, right? Yeah, I, I don't know that I would put it that way, but don't look behind the curtain. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's, you know, but we, we've used that word several times in this podcast, paradigm. And at the heart of any paradigm, it, it is, is a base assumption that things are the way they are. Uh, and sometimes we fail to consider that uh, paradigms change because the base assumption was flawed, you know. And, and when you were talking about, uh, you know, doing RFPs and, and, and saying, well, we're going to give you a higher level of care uh, uh, by, by putting two paramedics on every ambulance. And, and uh, the paradigm you were operating under was that more ALS is better and that more, uh, heck, that's the American healthcare paradigm more healthcare is better but if you look at our outcomes versus other places that that um for lack of a better word ration care or distribute it more appropriately uh their outcomes are as good as ours and better in many cases um they've learned that more is not better better is better <laughs> you know they have as good outcomes with less less uh, uh money spent um and I think the same thing will be true of, of EMS uh, delivery in, in the United States in the future. Uh, we're discovering that more can be done with less. And I don't know that EMTs and paramedics are going to be out of jobs because what were we doing? We were, we, were, we were crying and moaning that there was a major paramedic shortage uh, as it is. But if, if, if we don't have to meet... Uh, staffing levels and deployment uh, models uh, under an old paradigm, and we shift to something a little more fluid, uh, a little more appropriate for the, the level of care we rent, we need to render. Um, who's to say that that, that, uh, that shortage won't uh, kind of evaporate? But, hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Do you think that the new normal is going to involve more BLS, less ALS, more of a, a mobile integrated health fee-for-service kind of uh, model for EMS? Uh, or do you think we're going to go right back to where we were and incrementally move forward? We'd like to hear your thoughts on the subject at the show at EMS1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week. <laughs>